I'm sure any curly girl has heard that professional conversation of your hair is not professional or, you know, you need to tame it. You need to calm it down. Clients tell us all the time their bosses might ask them to put their hair in a clip or something. And it's just it's unfortunate that we think that hair has to deal with how professional and how good you can do your job. But it is a reality that people face. My name is Wafea Abdallah owner of Curly Oasis Inc., a curl-centric salon and education platform in Rockville, Maryland. Since opening the salon in 2005, we've seen how teaching people to care for their curls is a step into a much deeper journey of self-acceptance and empowerment. This show explores some of those different journeys and the lessons that we've learned along the way in hair care and in life. Today, we are talking to Sydney Cave, a junior stylist here at Oasis and our youngest curl specialist. We dig into some generational differences around the thought of natural hair and changing social consciousness. This is The Curl Code. Sydney, welcome. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for giving us your time today. Appreciate you being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for this. I have a question for you. Sure. How'd you come up with the name, The Curl Code? Well, you know, one evening we were sitting around as a family and I was thinking something along the lines of authentic curl, curls authentic. I really couldn't come up with it. And so I was asking my husband and sons, hey, guys, we're thinking of launching this podcast. And I was here's some names I was thinking. And uh, Adam, our oldest son said, why don't you just call it the curl code? And I think it's based off, is there like a girl code or something? There's, yeah, there's definitely like code podcast for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yes. Or, or some other cartoon. I don't really know what he was referring to. And I oh, thought, and I thought the curl code, that's it. And I remember in the past, even working with Lorraine when we were teaching in the world and she would mention something about the Fibonacci sequence or the Fibonacci code. And I thought, wow. This is it. The curl code. Nice. So it's thanks to Adam. Oh, (laughs) I love that. So let's start by sharing what brought you to the salon. How did you come to be on the team? Yeah. So it's actually it's pretty funny because I never thought of myself as being a hairstylist for like majority of my life. You know, as a kid, I might have like done doll heads and wigs and tried to like have fun with hair. But I never saw it as like a job for myself. Right. And then during the pandemic, I was just kind of in between things, you know, figuring out what I really wanted to do in the world and where I was going. And I found you guys on Indeed. And I think the biggest thing for me that really caught my attention was the culture here. Um, When I went on Instagram, I saw a lot of spirituality, holistic living, just a really team environment. And that really drew my attention to to what I do now. And then being curly, right? Like curly hair was always such a A hard topic, you know, just like natural hair and figuring out how to wear your hair, but really seeing it in a light of like Oasis and seeing people really appreciate and celebrate their natural hair kind of drew me in. So you said a hard topic. Let's dig into that. What does does that mean exactly? (laughs) I mean, you know, growing up, especially being, you know, a woman of color, like a black woman, it's people see curly natural hair and they think, you know, it's nappy it's kinky you know it's untamed you look a mess I mean like my sister and I we always remember as a kid if we just like didn't even 
have like completely silk straight, you know, sleek hair, my grandma would be like, oh, you need to brush your hair. Right. And it's like it's just like normal little hair frizzies that would be showing. But it was it was untamed. Right. So it was a never it's never a fun conversation because it always ended up with someone being offended, someone's feelings getting hurt. So that definitely made made it hard. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what? How old is your grandmother? I'm just curious. Oh. oh, she would be now 75. And then my other grandma, who would also say the same things as some like in her some late 60s. Yeah. Wow. That was their experience with natural hair. I mean, yeah, definitely a generational thing. And it's kind of funny because one of my grandmothers actually wore her hair natural. I mean, her nickname was Curly. Because her hair was curly. Um, but it was definitely a generational thing. And even seeing how it shifted between my like my mom and like our dynamic and then like even my sister having to come to, you know, understanding. I think it's still a really big, you know, concept out here. A big, big change that needs to happen, a shift for sure. Yes. One hundred percent. So tell me about your curl story. Like what did you do when you were younger and how did you come to embrace your natural hair yeah so I got relaxers you know for years I think I started when I was like maybe three maybe four if I'm being generous and I had relaxers up until I was about 15 so that's you know almost 10 years of chemical right sodium hydroxide relaxers (laughs) wow yeah like you know straight chemical and get it straight chemical sorry (laughs) (laughs) um and you know, that continued till I was about 15. And then once I started, you know, growing into myself, it's just as a young adult and I would like braid my hair at night to make it look curly. I would do that so much that at one point I was like, why am I even, you know, getting relaxers at this point? And obviously, I don't think a parent would tell you no. I mean, relaxers, they cost money, of course. Right. And if you want to start to go natural, it's like a journey. And they're like, you, yeah, you got it. So I tried it and I, you know, stopped getting relaxers. That was when I was like. 15 and I haven't gone back since, which is, you know, a huge relief in so many ways. I think about all the toxic things that happen when you get relaxers. But it was also a really big journey because just because I stopped, you know, getting relaxers or going natural doesn't mean I was like fully in my curl. You know, I was still straightening my hair quite frequently. Um, I was still doing a lot of braid outs because my curls just weren't, you know, curling. And... It wasn't until I started working at Oasis truly that I got on that curl journey, that that process of really understanding my curls, learning to love my curls, seeing the real beauty in my curls. Definitely. It's been a it's been a journey. (laughs) Are you aware of the lawsuit with relaxers that's currently happening? I don't think I am. Yeah. So uh, it's completely toxic. Yeah. In fact, 97 percent toxic. And so now there's a lawsuit because there's an awareness that it causes cancer. And I'm not sure if you know this, but there are about 45% higher incident rates of cancer in Black women than there are in Caucasian women. Yeah, you mentioned. And that's yes. because of relaxers, right? Like the chemical services that that get done so frequently. That's, that's a huge portion of it. Of course, we could, you know, get into some socioeconomic reasons and you know are people living in food deserts are they getting the nutrition that they need definitely uh you know what other things are happening but a huge portion of it is when we do look at the the ingredients that are used in you know hair care 
and the sodium hydroxide relaxers and, you know, uh, I think some of the glue also. Yeah. That is used for, you know, various situations of hairstyling. Definitely. I mean, when you think about hair, you know, you think all the different things we do to manipulate our hair to make it look some kind of different, you know, type, texture, color, whatever the case may be. 99% of it has some kind of strong chemical in it that's just unnecessary for our bodies. And I always tell people, I think they forget that the skin's an organ, you know, it absorbs these things that we're putting on it. And even though we might not see the skin on our scalp so often it's there and it's taking in all of that. So that includes things like the relaxers that I got for, you know, almost 10 years and anything I did to my hair after that. So it goes deep. Indeed. Indeed. And, you know, you and I had a conversation when you first worked here, I think you were maybe a week or two in and you came to the back room where I was folding laundry and you said, well, Thea, so please explain this to me. I'm pro-black everything. I've been very pro-black, you know, since a young age. And here we are, you know, saying that, you know, braiding or can can you, you said it best. Do you, do you mind repeating sort of what you said at that moment? Yeah, I, I think at the time I was just a little, you know, confused as to what what the message that we've been taught you know, really was, right? What have we been learning about our hair up until this point? The things that we thought were so good for our hair. I mean, I know the oil conversation alone was a really big conversation to have with me. Um, Can you explain about what the oil conversation is? I will never, ever forget. Um, I was standing in the, I was standing in the retail area and someone who was working here was having a conversation with me. And I don't know if I asked the question or if they, you know, insinuated a question, but I was told not to use heavy oils in my hair. They were like, oh yeah, like like olive oil, coconut oil, don't use it. It's not good for you. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And especially who I was hearing it from, right? You know, I wasn't hearing it from another person of color. So I think Mm -hmm. for me, that was almost like a huge, you know, in that, in that brick wall kind of step back. I'm like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. Like for your hair, yeah, don't use oil. For my hair, it's different. Mm -hmm. But she really broke it down to me and she was like, imagine, you know, your hair is a plant. If your plant is looking for water to be hydrated, why would you put something like oil to hydrate your plant then? And, you know, it it processed at that moment that heavy oils weren't going to be what I needed for hydration. Right. They weren't going to be what was going to long term even help my hair, you know, and now I'm learning more about the science and figuring that out. I just learned that the oil molecule is too big to penetrate through my hair. But it was it was a huge like cultural thing because growing up, we are so, so taught to oil our scalp, right? Like you, I would at one point oil my scalp every night, right? It was like a routine thing. And I never really liked the way it felt in my hair, but it was just, you know, what I was taught to do. So I did it and kind of unlearning some of those things. I mean, even with like, you know, protective styles and I'm going to quote, quote unquote, protective styles because they aren't as protective as we think they are. Now, knowing that it like, it makes sense. But when you first, you know, step into this industry and into this like whole curly world, you get a little taken aback. You're like, oh, my goodness, these people like what is going on? Right. But it's really about understanding what. Where it comes from, but then also understanding how it's not really serving in the long run. Some powerful stuff. And so protective styles, you know, my question was always, what are you protecting it from? It's like you're protecting your own hair, if I'm to understand correctly, yeah, right? Like, yeah. 
you know, one option is to protect your own hair by covering it with other hair. And now the scalp can't breathe. The hair is manipulated tightly in some sort of way in order to attach hair. Right. Or even putting pressure on it in an area at the root in order to adhere this other hair that's protecting your own right. hair. And after thinking about it, I thought, what's protective about that? Mm-hmm. If anything, it's, it's the opposite. I mean, you know, I think one thing that's really important to differentiate between the two is like a hairstyle and a protective hairstyle, right? It's a hairstyle. Love it or not. Like, you know, it's a mm-hmm. hairstyle. It's cute. Whatever the case may be. But you're right. It's not protective because everyone knows when you first get your hair braided, it hurts. Your scalp's physically in pain because it's being pulled so tightly you know, from the braiders trying to, you know, make the style last or maintain itself. And it's, you know, it's not comfortable. So like in that sense, your hair is already not in a state of protection because it's literally like red, it's sore, it's, you know, it's in pain. Not to say that like you can't do it, right? But I think it's very much important to know the awareness behind it and to just call it what it is. It's not protective. It's a hairstyle, right? Exactly. And so I think that's a huge thing that never really gets differentiated because I don't think people really break it down they think oh my hair is not being exposed to the elements it's protected right but while your hair is not being exposed it is being still like manipulated with on your like on your own head you know Mm -hmm. so that's a really important thing to kind of think about when you think of those hairstyles what elements would you trying to be protecting your hair from I mean, I wish <laughs> I wish I had a real answer for you, you know, um, I remember getting braids myself as a kid and then I didn't braid my hair for majority of my life. And it actually wasn't until right before I started working here that my hair was braided again. So I really can't tell you what we're protecting it from. I know like as a kid, my mom did it because she didn't really know how to take care of my hair. So it was so much easier for her to just like braid it and be like done with it. it almost gets like put away in like a little box. Right. Um, but then as an adult, you know, I even hear people go on like vacations and they're taking trips. They're like, oh, I want to braid my hair so it's out of my way. Like, you know, it's not going to get bothered. And I think it is a bit of not understanding fully how to take care of your natural texture. You know, if you don't know, how would you know? And braids does seem like the easiest out to just kind of, like I said, kind of lock your way your hair in a box and just put it somewhere. Mm. And you were talking about oiling your scalp. Tell me what's behind that. I don't know. I mean, I gen- I have no idea. I just know as a kid, you know, I would take like olive oil. Typically it'd be olive oil. And we would just like, you know, especially when your hair was in braids. Now I do think part of, and I'm, I can't be quoted on this, but I do think part of the reason is because when you braid your hair, it's so like sore and it's so sensitive. The cold oil just feels really, really good on your scalp because mm. it's just so like, it's tight. Right. But I mean, you know, when your scalp gets dry, I guess people just assume dry, like, oil can fix your dry scalp Mm. and when you break down the science of it you start to understand that your scalp is like everywhere else in your body it is you know skin it's an organ it needs water for hydration basic science oil and water just don't mix so if I'm putting oil on my scalp I'm not allowing water to penetrate but that's like way further than what we've ever been taught you know we're just taught oil your scalp it's going to hydrate it and it kind of stopped there. And I mean, I definitely can understand how people think that you're getting some kind of hydration because oil, it's thick. You know, it lays right on top and then you feel it there. And it, it feels like like not silky, but it feels like something's there. You know, you're like, oh, maybe it's maybe it's working. Right. But when you think about the science and you really break it down, you just understand that it's it's not really helping you. 
And not to mention that our skin has sebaceous glands, which are oil glands. Mm -hmm. So it is producing its own oil. Exactly. So if the oil molecules are too big and they kind of lodge into the hair follicle, and now it's almost stifling the sebaceous gland from producing that oil. Yeah. Yes. Often And oftentimes people think that, you know, the flaky scalp means dry skin and it could mean build up from synthetics and plastics and hair care. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there's a real disconnect. By the way, the African-American community is not the only people oiling. I was going to ask. I'm like, I know you're Egyptian, right? Oh, my gosh. Your scalp? Oh, yes. Yes. We grew up. Oil is the answer. I mean, even today, it's not cold oil, though. We heat it up. Okay. And uh, even if you have any aches and pains, they warm up some olive oil and rub it in your aches and pains. Yes. Yes. So that feels good. But for sure. I mean, I remember growing up and having oily, oily hair, and then I had yeah. oily, oily skin. So I had oily, oily pimples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is very mar- much part of people's culture, right? Like I do, I see it on TikTok. I'm not so familiar, but like of, you know, Indian women putting the oil in their hair and then like brush it through. I think they do that once a week, maybe. And it is a very like heavily cultural or culturalized thing that we do right I just think that it's important to know the awareness around it I can't tell you how to go about you know what you do in your culture even how you take care of your own hair I can only try to inform you as to how beneficial it might be and then kind of let you go from there absolutely that's it we're educating and you know people can make their own decisions but come from a place of knowledge yeah and oil certainly has its place you know I was listening to a podcast with uh Dr. Andrew Weil, who's an integrative doctor. And he was talking about uh, how oils aren't always processed the same. So, of course, if you're using, you know, high heat, you're going to break down some really healthy properties in the oils and the the plant or the, the, the olives or the whatever. And so you're really taking the healthy properties out. Exactly. Versus like a slower cold cold press. press. Exactly. And then he also mentioned a word that I hadn't really been aware of called agritoxic. What's that? So agriculture mm-hmm. and the toxicity on how they okay. are, you know, um, what chemicals are being put on plants for what use to, you know, send critters away or yeah. if it's, you know, if, if it's organic versus not. So there's a lot to consider, not all oils are even equal. Yeah. No, if you're exactly. going to go that, that route. I mean, absolutely. We even think about essential oils, right? You know, if a client has some kind of thinning going on, you might say, oh, you could use rosemary essential oil. And then you really have to like differentiate between the two because it's like, you can't just go to the store and get rosemary oil, right? That's not going to work for you. You got to make sure it's like, you know, essentially derived and straight from the plant. I think with essential oils, it is, you know, almost like a cold pressing kind of method where they like really With extract companies, yeah. right, all of that nutrient out of there instead of using that heat, just get the the molecule going. So it's, yes, it goes deep. And I think a lot of times in hair care, we're just, we aren't taught, you know, no one's taught how to, how deep it goes, you know, what the difference is for the majority. We think oil's oil, right? So. Well, and the other pieces, things that are truly processed well and using good ingredients are going to cost more. Right. And that's certainly something we hear a lot here. Well, what can I get in the drugstore that's still good? Well, 
I don't know of yeah. anybody who's really paying attention in the drugstore. Right. There might be. I'm not aware. Mm -hmm. And you certainly get what you pay for. And what we often say is, you know, good, good products are going to be more concentrated. Yeah. And your hair is going to be healthier. Yeah, they really so, do last you. <laughs> yeah. In the it's long an run, you're going to need less. Yeah. And your hair is going to look better longer. Definitely. So it's really you're spending the same. The difference is with the more expensive things, you're spending it at one time. Mm -hmm. They last longer versus you're, you know, spending in small, smaller increments more often. Yeah. Well, I think also part of it is, you know, when you find something that's good and it works, you stay pretty consistent with it. I mean, I've been using the same conditioner since I moved, since I came here. Right. But when you're not using things that are so good, you're finding yourself going back and forth a lot between, you know, different different products, trying new, you know, solutions, things, trying to find something that's going to be a solution. Right. And it just never is. And I remember before I came here, I always had like under my sink, at least like a full thing of different products, like a full basket of different products, because I just tried different things. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm out. So I'll try it. I'll use this again. But it never really worked or like fulfilled that need for hair care. So I'd love to hear the conversation that goes on in your family and friends with your mom and sister and cousin and, and the grandmother that you mentioned earlier. You know, one, does she have the same hair as you? So there's two different answers, definitely, because we have natural hair conversations among my group, like friends. And then we have like among family, right? Amongst families, not much of a conversation at all. If I'm being quite real, it's more of everyone does their thing. And, you know, you try not to step on anyone's toes, really, because, of course, there, there are people who are my elders and I respect them highly. So I'm not one to push the limits as far as I'm willing to. But definitely when I even first started working here, you know, it was, oh, my gosh, Sydney, all that hair on top of your head. Right. And even still, if I put my hair up, especially, I'll still hear that that point of reference right where it just seems like it's too much right and I think a huge huge part of it really goes I mean it goes back right it's more than just about me and my hair it's really about the way that people like black people were expected to show up in society right you know we were already when we first came brought when we were first brought over here we were told to be as tamed as possible right I mean they were trying to control us like animals and so that mentality continued of being tamed and it's like we have different points in history where we you know we might get out of that tame to get rights civil rights movement right and then we might come come back because we have to get jobs and we're trying to get paid equally so we need to present ourselves as our white counterparts right and i think a huge part that people forget is how much it impacts our beauty and our beauty standards in the black community right we still have like that uh like that tame mentality that like oh so like i need to be controlled or i need to be looked at as my white counterpart. And it's not something that we as black people are like looking in the mirror saying, I need to look like my white coworker because I need to, you know, be equal to them. But it's more of like a, it's like a mental thing. You know, it's very like systemically put into us to try to match the standard around us because we are too much, you know? I mean, people say it all the time. They're like, they talk about like black women, especially and being so like loud, right? That's such like a huge, like, term that's used for black women and it's like are we loud because we don't speak the same as white people or are we loud because that's just the inflection of our voice and it's not what you're used to right or animated could it be Anim animated right? we that animated? we love a good story exactly and, right? right and i and hearing the differences a lot i think 
there's so many different aspects of just the way people show up in the world that we're all kind of like domesticated into thinking these things. And I mean, the beauty standards, a huge one of those domestications, just having to present yourself very like neat and, you know, presentable and you can't, you can't look a certain way. And I see and that not too loud and not, right, too not too visible, just, like, flamboyant, right? Not too visible. Right. Let's like go to the background. And I see that a mm. lot in like the older generation of just having to kind of go to the background, you know, not be so not be so loud. Like, why, why do you want all the attention on you? Why are you being so eccentric? Right. And it's like I'm I'm showing up the way I, I want to. And I think even outside of hair, when it comes to generational differences, I see a lot of that just in the way like the younger generation shows up. I mean, you had like Gen Z's and you have boomers, right? And it's like, you couldn't just get the two to co coexist together because one was too out there and too much. The other was too conservative and too quiet. And it's like, there's always something of someone trying to really control how the other person's showing up. And I, you know, going back to my grandparents and my family, it's still that same mentality of, you know, just trying to present yourself in a certain manner I think like especially with my grandma who's in her 60s now she's um very big on business and being you know very professional right and I mean I'm sure any curly girl has heard that professional conversation of your hair is not professional or you know you need to tame it you need to calm it down clients tell us all the time their bosses might ask them to put their hair in a clip or something and it's just it's unfortunate that we think that hair has to deal with how professional and how good you can do your job, but it is a reality that people face. And I think it almost comes from a place of fear in a way, you know, we're afraid that if we do step out of the box, we will lose our job, right? Or we do step out of the box, we won't be seen as professional. And so I think it's important for people to start stepping out of the box, but like, I do respect those who have a hard time, you know, really coming to with that concept. I know like my grandparents, I respect the fact that they don't see the beauty in the curls the way I do however I mean I think all we can do is just educate them and really show them how beautiful it can be and so much has transpired since you know when they were in the workforce yeah or when they were younger I mean pronouns have changed exactly you know uh definitely curls are more accepted everyone's tatted up yeah right <laughs> exactly so, I mean there's so many yeah there's so many aspects about the way you can show up in a workplace and still be looked at as professional that have changed and I think it's in general a hard conversation to be had but why not start with hair and we just learned something today didn't we with a client that we had yeah. Uh, who's in the military, right. works in the Pentagon. Exactly. Having to like pull your hair back, you know, and it's still that same like mentality of, you know, it needs to be slick and straight and it needs to be, you know, put in place. Like, And she said it doesn't have to be tight on your hair as much. Mm -hmm. Like it can be. It can be a little loose. <laughs> a quarter inch off your head. And yeah. she mentioned something about locks. Did she yeah, say something? Yeah, right. So like now, I guess, the, I don't know if it's just the military or the army, but I would assume it's the military in general that you can have locks. Like, you know, you're allowed to have locks now, which I find fascinating because I told her, I was like, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm so appreciative that they are like, you know, accepting more of that diversity in there. I mean, any step's a big step. But mm -hmm. it's interesting that you can have your locks and have to wear it slicked back. But locks don't lay like flat on your head you know they yeah there's they, a bit of a disconnect right there. <laughs> so it's like it's interesting that you can have your locks but not have your your natural hair just not to like tightly pulled back to your head right but i mean like i said any step's a big step so <laughs> always grateful to see some change and and so with your peer group what's the conversation you said it's two different yeah, things. yeah and i would say with peers i mean 
we're all looking to, you know, really express ourselves in the best way that we can. And I think part of that journey of just figuring out who you are in the world, I mean, you know, your gender identity, your sexual orientation, where you stand as far as what you want to do in life. I mean, your career choice, right? There's so many parts of figuring out yourself that are just so much more open now. You know, back in 10 years ago, if you didn't go to college, you were looked at as like a bum, right? But now it's like you have the option to not go to college. Like it's okay to not go to college. I think it should be encouraged for people to figure out their, you know, their career paths that way or your, you know, your sexual orientation. It's okay to be queer. It's beautiful to be queer, right? Or, you know, your gender identity. We have so many different like it's such a big gender spectrum that we have. And I think as my generation is starting to really come to light of just being a little bit different, stuff like curly hair is almost the norm. You know, we're not looking to be so tamed. We're young, you know, <laughs> one, we're looking to have fun, but also we're we're willing to be ourselves and to show up how we think is most authentic as opposed to how others want us to seem authentic. Yeah, it's really true. I mean, there's such evolution and in that way. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen some of this evolution, you know, just working in the, in the hair industry and going from being in a normal straight salon to like a curly and then even growing up, I'm sure you saw some of this evolution. Oh, for sure. In Egypt, you know, because I'm brown skinned and, uh, even though the racism doesn't exist there, there might be a little bit of colorism. Like they think the standard of beauty is fair. You know, and I call it neocolonialism in a yeah. way, right? It's what lingers after colonialism, that it's what's seen as more beautiful, more attractive. Right. And, you know, growing up, certainly I had family members who said, you know, pull in your lips a little bit. Oh, you know, hmm, if you put this makeup on your nose, it's going to look a little thinner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Because they wanted me to be attractive to, I don't know attract a husband because that's yeah. what defines women right yeah. is what man they end up with so i love that the young wow. people it's like oh man you say i know like, let's, first of all let's correct this it's not even a man that we're looking for but you know it's it is that like that idea of just it's a whole shift well and similar to the black culture the internal the internalizing of mm-hmm. these standards like it's other women in arab countries that say oh no don't do that as a woman. Yeah. And same what you're saying to me is this other, you know, black people, mm-hmm. they're saying, no, you don't want to show up that way. Right. So it is subconscious and it is a bit of brainwashing yeah. that it's been internalized and that's become our standard of measure. Definitely. And yeah, that's that's really mind boggling. And, you know, if you read The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, it talks about the domestication, right? And how from a very young age, we are all domesticated. And when you really break it down, that domestication travels through generations, but it also starts up for each new generation. So, like, you know, before it was we needed to be domesticated and showing up a certain way and like presenting ourselves, you know, then it was like, oh, domesticate yourself by not being so open with your sexual orientation. Then it's like, oh, domesticate yourself by not being open about your gender identity And I think we're getting to a point where domestication is very much still prominent. It's a part of the human nature. But I think we are trying to expand our awareness as to how domesticated we can make someone while still being them, like still having them be authentic. And I think it it really swings back to to curls. You know, I mean, you can't you can't domesticate your curls. You just got to let them got to let them be themselves. Got to let them be authentic.
As you're working on the team in a curly hair salon and you're meeting young people who are just starting to discover how gorgeous their hair yeah. is, what is something that you wish more people would know or accept in your day to day? I wish more people knew how beautiful their natural hair can fully be. You know, I think it, it is a journey. I know it's a journey and it's important to remember that. Throughout that journey, you grow so much in your self-love and finding yourself and feeling authentic in how you show up. And if you don't know how to take care of your natural hair, you'll never know how beautiful it can it can really be. When you started working here, when we did your hair, you know, there were some it was like the top, I don't know, three or four inches that were closest to your scalp mm -hmm. or your natural hair. Yeah. And then there was a whole middle section that was stretched out and mm -hmm. no elasticity and the, the ends were just trying their yeah. best. And now to see your know, crown <laughs> is magnificent. It's just stunning. Yeah. Tell me your personal journey and how do you feel now that your hair is showing itself? It's great, right? So I'll tell anyone, the beginning of the journey was not easy. Because, I mean, you see these straight ends and you're like, you are your worst critic. So you're looking at your hair like, oh, my goodness, it looks crazy. Like, why? Like, I just want these straight pieces gone, but I don't want to get rid of my length. And it's like this internal battle going back and forth. But throughout the journey, I really did learn how to, one, take care of my hair through each step of the process. I learned how to love my hair as it shows up. And once my curls showed themselves, I had never felt more confident in my hair and my, you know, my abilities to just wear my hair as it is. I remember waking up as a kid and having like 30 extra minutes just to straighten or curl my hair because otherwise I feel like it looked a mess, right? I wake up 90% of the time and I just shake it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, good to go. And people love it, right? You know, I never don't hear compliments about my hair. It's always, I love your curls. Like, I love your hair. And it's never ending. And I, as much as I appreciate the compliments, they are warming. It's really about how I feel about my hair. And I love it. I love the way that I get to show up every day in my, in my crown chakra. And do you feel that when you're on vacation, that it's a chore. Actually, I mean, I wash my hair once a week. <laughs> Every time I tell people that, they're like, what? I'm like, yeah, I wash my hair once a week and I really don't touch it. And I mean, really, it's so easy. I shampoo, I condition, pretty standard. I leave in my conditioner, of course. And then I take my time. You know, I'm patient with my hair. I like to sit down and style my hair. I almost find it to be a ritual for me. You know, it's like I wash my hair on Tuesdays. But if you wash your hair on like a Sunday, it's like a Sunday ritual. You know, you get to sit down with yourself and really pay attention. I, I have tight curls and each each individual curl needs love. Right. And I get to show each individual curl the love it deserves once a week. And then throughout the week, I'm like, hey, guys, I'm like, what's up? Let me just shake you out. We're like, wake up a little bit. You know, I love the positive talk to your curls. <laughs> Definitely. I, I love seeing, you know, when I'm going through my hair and I'm like finger fingered going through, I'm, you know, defining my curls. I just love seeing the magic of them. Right. You go through and you see just these beautiful spirals and they just they just sit so lovely. And I'm like, ah. There you are. You look awesome. So if I'm on vacation for two weeks, I only have to wash it probably one other time during vacation because I just wash it before I leave. And it lasts, you know, it's not it's not a problem. If I need to, I'll put a headband on and just <laughs> have it out of my face. Yeah, right. We learn how to put it up curly, yeah, curly up you know? and really cute and fun right. ways. You know, it doesn't have to be boring. It can be yeah. fun. Yes. I love it. <laughs> The, the salon model that we have here is a little different than mm -hmm. your traditional salon model. It's a team-based structure. 
How does it feel to be on a team, on this team and in the salon? I mean, it's great, right? So this is my first hair salon, but I think a huge reason as to why I never saw myself in the like beauty industry is because of that competitive nature, right? That that constant commission booth rental, having to, you know, fight for your own clients and going out there and just almost like scouting people to come see you. And I get for some people that works. And I I'm so happy that people have figured out a way for that to work for them. But me being new, it's a little intimidating, right? And coming in and being on a team and feeling so welcomed and supported regardless of what I do. You know, I'm and when you're new in the industry, you're going to make mistakes, right? It's you're gonna have hiccups. It happens, but I always feel supported regardless of what happens and the constant education and learning with one another. It's been it's been great. I don't think I would be in a salon setting with definitely without team base. Yes, it's it's so much of again, we were talking about the world gone by versus the world to come. Mm-hmm. And it was really, in my opinion, a scarcity mindset. Right. Of, you know, there's not enough. So I better keep everything for me. Yeah. And the way things are going, certainly post-pandemic and this renaissance that we're living through is so different from that. Definitely. You've seen the transition too. I mean, before you really owned the salon, it was, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if it was commission or booth yeah. rental. Yeah, commission. Kind of hodgepodge yeah, of whatever you know, work. And you've seen the transition of that to team base and seeing the flow of everything. And it's really an old concept that, that Africa yeah. <laughs> was built on, this mm-hmm. whole concept of Ubuntu. That, you know, we rise when we all rise. Right. And do you want to throw an African proverb in now? <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know if this is an African proverb, but if you want to go far. If you want to go fast. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that was yes. uh, that resonated at the strategies conference. It's it's so true that, you know, when you think of any person in history that was leader of a significant movement, if they didn't have people that were pushing that agenda and that philosophy, it wouldn't have gone anywhere. No, you need a team. You need support. I mean, who wants to, who wants to do it all by themselves, right? Even if you, I'm big introvert here and I still don't want to do it all by myself. You know, it's great to come in and have a team. We can all laugh and joke. I love when we're all having like group conversations in the salon, different people in different chairs are like mingling, interacting with one another. Something about like a sense of community that it brings into the salon space that we even hear from clients. You know, they mention it all the time. Yeah, there was something going on Saturday where uh, Moni was working with a young lady to do her own hair. Yeah, exactly. And there was a client in Adi's chair that was tearing up. That was touched by it. Right. And it's like that those interactions that happen on a daily basis really make make this job exciting. You know, it adds a sense. It adds more of a sense of passion to it. What's one of your favorite things to do here? Yeah. so. I mean, I'll tell anyone, I probably would not be in the hair industry if it wasn't for curly hair Um, and figuring out, you know, the science behind people's hair, figuring each individual almost like concoction, right? You're like a little like sorceress back here doing hair. And it's so exciting to see people on a day to day basis just feel so confident and so beautiful in themselves. If anyone asks me, you know, what makes this job amazing? It's the having the space to be creative. And to allow that creativity to not only make people feel good about themselves, but to make them just feel beautiful and confident and taken care of and love in their natural space, making people feel authentic in themselves. You can show up however you show up here at Oasis and we we love you regardless. So 
Let me ask this. If you could say anything to your grandmother or your grandmother's generation about natural hair, well, what's the message that you would have? I would tell their generation to give it a chance. I think it's too long been kind of put in the shadows. You know, don't talk about it. Don't think about it. Do something to make it look different. Give it a chance. It's never too late. We have clients come in all the time who are like, I feel like I've, ta- I've waited so long. And I'm like, no. Anytime you start, it's a great time. Give it a try. And you'll, I can't even tell you, like, see if you'll like it. You'll like it. You know, it's, it's how your hair grows out of your head. It's physically shaped to fit your face, to fit your body, to fit your personality. It's, it's a code. It's literally a curl code. <laughs> Sydney, thank you so much for giving us your time today. Oh, thank you so much for having I, me. I feel like we could go on and on. You have so much <laughs> wisdom and, and beautiful things to share. Thank really appreciate you. it. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Curl Code is brought to you from the Oasis Curl Salon in Rockville, Maryland, hosted by the one and only Wafea Abdullah. This episode was produced and recorded by me, Hannah Gaber, and edited by Tatiana Zamis. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating. And if you've got some nice things to say, go ahead and leave us a review. But most importantly, please share the show with anyone you think would enjoy it. Word of mouth really is the best way to help people find us. Learn more about Curly Oasis at www.curlyoasis.com and continue your curl education journey by finding them on Instagram and YouTube. The Curl Code is a Say More production.